Welcome to Parenting That Kid. My name is Ashley Tolliver. As a mom of twins, one being a highly sensitive child who responds to the world in a non-traditional and sometimes challenging way, I understand the desire to find the golden answer. Maybe there is no golden answer, but there are resources, tips, and tricks we can all use to help us make this uniquely normal parenting journey a little more fun. This podcast is a roadmap to parenting that kid for myself and other parents. If recording my journey as I seek a clear starting point, community, and effort to normalize what sometimes feels abnormal supports at least one parent, then my time is not wasted. And hey, if it doesn't, well, there's documented proof that moms deserve a glass of wine. Cheers! If you're the parent of an emotionally charged student, you're probably in the mix of a multi-level team full of specialists ready and willing to help support your child through their academic years. Well, I thought let's dig a little bit deeper into this team and see just who it is that your child's spending their days with who's helping guide them throughout the next 18 years of their life. In this episode, I speak with Emily Hall, a public school psychologist who breaks down the school psychologist's role in advocating for their students as well as providing tips and tools for the students to use both at home and in school. As a member of a larger support team, Emily understands the importance of advocating for her emotionally charged students and their families to help each student reach their fullest potential. This was a great episode. I think there's a lot of tips we all can use to help us not only in our child's daily life within the school, but how about those weekends, those afternoons and those evenings where we all seem to struggle? Taking those tips from school and putting them into everyday life is key, and Emily has the answers. Yes, I'm a licensed specialist in school psychology, and um, I evaluate students to see if they have um, an educational disability that might render them needing services for special education so a specialized curriculum Um, and then after i evaluate if a child becomes eligible for services i provide psych services such as counseling for um, autistic students emotionally disturbed adhd and i also support our programs on campus and um, advocate for our kiddos with their teachers you're busy (laughs) that's a lot of things you do (laughs) So I have a 45 day period where I get a full picture of a child. Um, I get to know their home life as well as their school life and see if they have um, an eligibility for special education services. And the other part of my job is when a student, let's say a student does qualify for special education services. And as a committee, we decide what services those will look like. I provide the psychological services for some of our um, autistic, emotionally disturbed and ADHD students. It's um, very similar to counseling in the school setting. So at first you go through an evaluation process and then you go on into more detail, I would guess, with children specifically who need your services. How um, How do children come to you who might need evaluation? Is this based off of the parents requesting it? Is this the teachers? Are they maybe falling behind in class? How do you know that your child should be evaluated? Okay, so there's many, um, a few different ways that um, an evaluation can be requested. One is a parent request, and a, every parent in public education has the opportunity to at any time request an evaluation. Um, 
it used to be required through writing and now it can be a verbal request. Mm. And so a parent at any time can tell um, administration, their teacher, someone at the school that they would like a special education evaluation. So that's one way. The other way is most schools or all schools are required to have a response to intervention um, system set up at the schools called RTI. It's for struggling students. And so, for example, at the elementary school I work at, we have a committee called the Child-Centered Team, and they meet about once every two months, and they see every teacher on campus, and the teacher brings data about each student and says, hey, I'm concerned about this student. Should we go forward with a special education evaluation, or what do y'all what do y'all as a committee recommend I try first? Um, so you kind of have it from both ends. Parents are looking out for, can be looking out for their student and um, request an evaluation at any time. And then also the school should be monitoring your child and if they start to fall and they see a need, and it's not just academic, it can be a behavioral need, emotional need, um, they can also submit the student for an evaluation. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. So it's really coming from all um, people who touch a child's life. They have the ability yes. to come to you um, right. and not turn down, but at least their child is evaluated. Does Correct. this stay with the child throughout grade school, you know, if a kid was evaluated in first grade, does this continue on until they're out of the school system? Or is this kind of like, well, at the end of the year, we're done? No, it continues on. Um, it actually has its own annual process. So there's an ARD meeting called an, an annual review and dismissal meeting. And you have to have one of those at least every year. Um, and that committee includes the parent, an administrator, a special education teacher, a general education teacher. Um, and you and usually an LSSP or a speech pathologist, anyone that provides additional services. Um, And you meet at least annually to update the student's IEP, which is the Individualized Educational Plan. Um, The eligibility for the services has to be reevaluated at least every three years. It can be evaluated sooner. Anyone can request it at any time, Um, but it follows you all the way through graduation. Oh, wonderful. And it, so it sounds like you're working with more than just the teacher and the child, but you're actually pulling in all of the um, support that this little one might be using. You said yes, speech they, and occupational, all those kind of. Correct. That's yes. wonderful. Wow. Yes. And, go ahead. Um, as, a, as the LSSP, I'm kind of the assessment team leader. So I make sure that if I'm evaluating and I, I do the cognitive testing and the academic testing as well as the um, emotional. But if I notice may if I notice maybe there's some deficits with fine motor skills or gross motor skills mm-hmm. or maybe the speech, I'll call in um, a speech pathologist or an OT or a physical therapist, um, and they'll jump in with the parent's permission on the evaluation. Oh, wow, that's oh, that's really nice to know that it really is a whole unit that's helping the, this child and yeah. not just one person. And right. do the parents? Um, are they able to call you and say, I want an evaluation, and then it all just comes together? Or is this a process that a parent has to go through and um, it takes it, a while? It has gotten much easier um, in the past couple of years. It used to be you just had to write um, a formal letter and submit it to the principal or the director of special education or special services, and then the evaluation started. But now parents can just call me directly, um, and I send home consent where it just outlines all of their rights as a parent and the school's rights and the process. And then when consent is received back, it's a 45 day process, that's 45 school days. And it does 
often, I know it is frustrating sometimes for parents because the timeline is so long, Mm -hmm. but it gives us an opportunity to get a full picture of a child Mm -hmm. instead of just seeing them, them one time. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody gathering all the information so they're prepared for when everybody does come together. Yes. So how is, what do you do specifically with a child after evaluation? Do you have a protocol things you follow? Do you look at the child in the evaluation and then go, we're going to set a plan and action for you? Um, yes. Your day-to-day life with, let's say, a child that you've seen throughout the year, how does that look? Okay. So um, for example, on my campus, I have Um, what is called the BIC, the Behavior Intervention Class. And it is um, kind of an emotional support center on Mm. campus for students who are um, eligible for services with emotional disturbances. And I see those students regularly for counseling. And then I also see them um, on an as-needed basis, maybe to complete a suicide protocol um, or just work with their teachers and advocate for the student. Um, But I have, but I do have specific times, like I have to see them six times per nine weeks for 20 minutes each time that's um, official in their paperwork. Wow. That I'm required to see them then. Wow. So you really are involved throughout the day or this is not just, we'll see at the beginning of the school year and then at the end of the school year. Correct. Yes. So then I would guess, oh, go ahead. Every school district is different, though. Um, some school districts don't have campus-based assessment staff. Um, so in Lampasas ISD, we are assigned to a campus. So, uh-huh. But in other districts, they're kind of floaters, and they go to all different campuses and help all over. You can still get the same services. It's just set up a little bit differently. Hmm. Interesting. But yes. So you're district-based, so you probably see the same children as they proceed throughout their grades. Yes. I do. That's I get to nice. see them. Yeah, which is very cool. Yeah. So you work with the family. They're involved too. I would assume yeah. then that stuff that you guys work on in school, and this just is maybe my naive knowledge of knowing anything, but things that you guys are working on for school are also intended to support them out of school, their emotional Absolutely. life out of the classroom. Can you talk yes. a little bit more about that? Maybe how parents sure. are involved with that? Okay, absolutely. So I'll tell you specifically about our students with autism. Um, yeah. We offer parent training and in-home training. And so at every annual meeting, when we're going over their special education plan, we say, what are some skills that you're struggling with at home that maybe your child is being successful with at school? Um, So for example, I have gone over to a child's home and helped the parents rearrange the bedroom so that it's more structured, um, helped them put up a visual schedule at home. Um, I've, it doesn't even have to be in the home. I've had parents come up to the school and we meet once a month for 30 minutes and I talk about basic behavior techniques that might help their child. And it's really as involved as the parents would like it to mm-hmm. be. Um, we kind of take their, their um, pull on it, but then also we say, hey, we've noticed this inconsistency between home and school. Can we help you out this way? You know. Wow. That's really amazing that you actually come over and help them because we send our children to school eight hours a day. Um, but as a parent, I f- we feel the brunt of it in the afternoon, yeah. the witching hour. And we yeah. know our child so much deeper. Um, you hope that your teachers know your child as well. But the truth of the matter is you are the parent and they're more vulnerable with you. So that you guys actually come into their lives. That's really amazing and impressive. You yes, talked about you. the visual calendar and I love that or the visual schedule. I've seen that technique. I've used it on my own children. And I think it really helped my son instill Mm -hmm. our morning routine. And now he is on top of it. What other tools and resources do you encourage outside of the school setting or that Um, they use in school? 
Um, so the biggest thing that we push is anything that helps with routine and schedule because um, children thrive on mm -hmm. schedules and knowing what to expect. Um, so really we just push the visual schedules, visual icons, um, and then also having an area in your home for your child to have a, a cool down area. Um, in most classrooms, we are trying to get teachers to build that area so they don't have to necessarily leave the classroom and sometimes that happens, but we would like them to be able to have a moment in the classroom um, and then return to their work. So even setting that up at home with consistency can be very helpful. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that you are encouraging to try to keep the child in the classroom. And having those yes. cool down, using that as like when they're having meltdowns or just big reactions to things, you're not being punished and removed from everything around you, but you do need to Correct. be removed from that moment and that situation. That's really awesome. And then having yeah. it at home, consistency is so valuable. And I think as parents and adults, we get so tied up in our lives of go, go, go that we forget that children thrive on consistency. Yes. Um, and, you know, even the breaks that they take in those cool down areas, they can be student initiated or teacher initiated. Oh. Um, and so the teacher can say, and I work on strategies like that with, with my kiddos. I say, you know, you can say, can I take a break or I need a break. Um, and we, we try to teach teachers when they request, you always need to let them, uh -huh. let them take the break. It's a, it's huge. First of all, that they're expressing it, that they're even recognizing they need to take a break because most students, when I get them, they're not even there yet. They don't even recognize when they're at that level. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That gives them the power too of their own self, of yes. their body and their mind. And absolutely. And yes. And for the teacher by saying no, boy, you're setting everything up for a worse situation. Correct. That's a great um, tip so for one, parents to create a, a little area in your house that you encourage your child to go and have a cool down or just take a few minutes to yourself. That's a great idea. Yes. And anything, um, if you have like a little tent, you know, those play tents are very mm -hmm. popular right now. Anything that the child can kind of climb in and feel safe and away, but not necessarily actually away from everything. Right. Uh, and one, one program I really want to recommend to parents that I am so excited about and we're starting here at school, it's called Zones of Regulation. And um, it is about self-regulating your emotions hmm. and it divides emotions into different colored zones and it it couples each zone with um, a traffic sign so for example there's the red zone and it's when you're just kind of out of control and it can be out of control in a negative or a positive so any really heightened state of emotion so extreme anger extreme excitement that's the red zone hmm. um, and or maybe your maybe your behavior is being disruptive and you need to stop so that one has a stop sign um, then there's the yellow zone where you're kind of getting excited um, you're starting to get amped up maybe you're a little bit on edge you notice what's going on and maybe you just need to slow down a little bit or yield um, then there's the green zone which obviously means you're good you're happy you're ready to learn um, and that's the go sign and then there is the blue zone where you are um, tired maybe sad maybe um, low energy that day and um, that's more like a, a slowdown sign so the yellow one's actually the yield and the blue's the slowdown sign um, and the point is that you start by teaching students about different emotions. You can be happy, you can be sad, blah, blah, blah. and then you get them to start recognizing their own emotions. And it's easier for them to conceptualize feelings when they associate them with the zones rather than the actual feelings. So I say like, 
what zone are you in today? Or teachers will have a check-in in their classroom and you come in and you take your picture and you put it on the green zone. And maybe the teacher knows you're ready to go. We can do an awesome lesson today. Or maybe you're in the yellow zone and something's going on so the teacher knows to check in with you and, and see what's going on. Or maybe you need to go see the counselor that day. Um, and then it grows from there. And it's very successful with parents and at school. There are some schools that are doing it whole school-wide. Some do it just in special education classrooms, um, behavior classrooms. I've seen it kind of however you want to gear it um, to your students. But I went to the training um, in February in Austin, and it's a it's a curriculum, but it's, I like it because you can, it's a program you can gear to your kids. You know, you can do it at different levels. It's, it's for ages four and up. Um, and the book is only, I think I want to say like $70, and it has, if that's the whole curriculum. Um, and it has reproducibles in there, so you can print off your own. But it, it really creates interesting conversation because, like for my group counseling, instead of saying, when were you sad this weekend, Johnny, tell the class, I can say, um, who felt like they were in the blue zone hmm. this weekend? And they're more apt to talk that way. Um, then just outright about your feelings. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you kind of, some of the lessons get more complicated and you move into um, what do you look like when you're in the red zone? Because a lot of our students with emotional problems or with ADHD, they don't even realize, like I said earlier, when they're in a meltdown, they don't know what their behaviors look like then. So when you have them step back and you can even take pictures of them with their permission, you know, when they're in the red zone and you say, look, um, you know, when you're really upset, you clench your fists up. And so the hope is that they will eventually start to realize when their hands are clenched that they are in the red zone. Maybe it's time to try a strategy like deep breathing or a coping skill. Um, and the presenter talked about it that the re a real success story she had was, I think, about a third grade student. And when he would get in the red zone, he would bring his claw out. And he didn't even realize it, like his hand would kind of go into a claw motion and he would get really worked up and throw things. And one day he said, I got real upset. I noticed my hand in the claw position and I was able to kind of pause and realize what was going on and use a coping skill and try to move back into the green or the yellow zone. Does that make sense? That's so cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. it is putting a physical um, definition to what they're going through and children learn best that way being a part yeah. that is so cool and I bet it's amazing for the parent or maybe the sibling that's around the kid because now they see it and they can kind of go look at your hand it's in the claw kind of shape or for this uh -huh. little and everybody yeah. can be there for that little one I love that is there yeah. in this curriculum is there um, tools and stuff that these children can practice this kind of stuff at home? I mean, I guess anybody can print yeah. out the colors, but are there ideas yes, that they can incorporate that? Yay. Yeah, there's um, like a chapter on the deep breathing and uh -huh. there's the lazy eight breathing um, and the six sides of breathing. And then there's um, there's just different, you, you create your own toolbox. So oh. you create a toolbox of coping skills when you're in the red zone or a, a toolbox when you're in the blue zone. Um, and it's individualized to each student. But I would really encourage parents um, to take a look at it. I'm real pumped up about it, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, 
I started it a little bit with my students, but um, the, actually the general education counselor on my campus, we're also, she's also going to be um, teaching it in her counseling lessons. So I'm hoping it'll become like a campus language mm. and um, everyone can relate to it. Can you share the name of that again? Of the curriculum? Yes, zones of, yes, zones of regulation. Zones of regulations. Okay. And do you know if parents can get this on their own or does it have to go through the school system? Oh, no, you can get it on your own. Okay. There's, a, there's a website you can order it directly from. Okay. Yay, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. I like that. And it's all over Pinterest, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> everything lives on Pinterest these days. It's a whole new world for me. I'm yeah. not even touching my toes in it. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have some tips? You were talking here about the deep breathing. Do you have some other tips that families can use throughout the day when they're going, with their, when they're going along with their child? And if their child's needing a meltdown, let's say you're out in public and your child melts down, unfortunately, there's no quiet place to go. Correct. Are there other True. things that you teach those children so that they can learn some coping mechanisms? Um, a lot. And honestly, I was going to talk about this earlier. A lot of what I have to do to advocate for kids is to educate their teachers about their disabilities. And oh. so that kind of goes hand in hand with the parents understanding where the child is coming from. Because a lot of times with behavior, we can't control a student or a kid's behavior right. the only control we have is over our own behavior right. and so if we try and change our perspective on what the child is going through I always um, tell teachers and, and paraprofessionals and parents don't match the emotional level of your child when your child is going off you know maybe for some parents it works to raise your voice and and be stern and have a stern voice and tell your child to get back in line but for some of our kiddos that have different issues that is the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I always say, do not match the emotional level of the, of the child. Keep your verbiage brief and to the point. Don't lecture. Because mm -hmm. when a child is at that point, they don't have rational thinking. They are not aware. They're not listening to you. Um, other forces have kind of taken over, and they're not, they're not rational. So you're just adding static kind of to their meltdown. Mm -hmm. um, so I say, you know, say first calm down, then we'll eat or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, first get in the car, then we'll go to the store, you know, whatever mm -hmm. is going on. Um, I also say ignore minor behaviors. Um, if you reinforce that the whining at the store, they're going to do it more because a lot of kids want any kind of attention, positive or negative. And if you're talking to them, giving them eye contact, <laughs> um, letting them put on a show, they're going to keep doing it. Um, so I say sometimes even turn your back if you can, if that's safe. Um, and so kind of think about why I always tell parents, try and think about why is your child doing this? Try and think, what is this behavior trying to get them? Because all behavior is communication. Mm -hmm. um, so what are they trying to get from this behavior? If anything, maybe it's just a sensory overload. And I would say um, I have students that, have meltdowns and they'll be hyperventilating and um, I had one person tell me one time just tell them you are safe no one's going to hurt you and just say that over and over again because I have a lot of kids that have been exposed to trauma mm -hmm. and um, and so when they think maybe they're going to be restrained or someone's going to hurt you um, just a calm voice you know you're safe no one's going to hurt you no one's going to touch you I'm here for you what do you need what do you want um, and then they feel heard and their feelings validated I see you are upset I noticed you are crying I noticed you are not happy try and validate um, their feelings 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a difference between, you know, a meltdown and somebody just throwing a tantrum just as a normal right. two-year-old would throw. And there is usually an emotion behind something going on and acknowledging yeah. that. Yeah. And then, like you said, making them feel safe. I think that's so important for children. They can't express that per se. So that's some right. <laughs> investigation on the parent side of things or the adult of the child. Um, but just acknowledging yeah. that is so, so big. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a great tip um, for parents or for anybody who's really around a child that you're really discouraged with yeah. that child. Um, maybe their, their emotions are just so big for you to handle, but looking back at yourself on how you're, you're reacting to that is so important. Mm-hmm. A lot of times at school, I get very discouraged because I think that teachers think our kiddos are being bad, just or being bad just to be bad yeah. or that they are trying, trying to get their goat or trying to make their day difficult. And I would I would say always give the child the benefit of the doubt. Err, err on the side of the child. Most kids want to please adults. Mm-hmm. Most kids want to get along in class. They're not doing this to upset you. They are upset. Mm-hmm. And so look at them with empathy and sympathy instead of thinking they're disrupting my classroom or they're trying to make my life difficult. Um, and I have to say it's, that's probably the hardest part of my job is have educating teachers on understanding um, their students' disabilities or problems. And so I would just encourage parents, if you have a student special education, do as much as you can work with your LSSP that you let your teachers know about your child and know that you help, you work with them at home and you're not encouraging this behavior, but it's just a part of who they are. And sometimes they get overwhelmed and, um, you know, give the child the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so that's yeah, absolutely. I agree. They're not trying to manipulate you into something different that they are right. having something right. internally within them that is so hard for them right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. On average, how long does a child stay with you throughout this? Is this, you see kids in first grade and you generally follow them all the way through high school or is there a point where you find that, um, you know, from fifth, sixth grade, they're no longer needing the services or is that really dependent on what the child is diagnosed with? Yes. Um, it's really varies with each child. I've only been in LSSP for about four years, but I um, work with a couple that have been doing it for about a decade and you see both. I mean, honestly, and it also depends where the child started from, you know, obviously our autistic students, I've seen some that start out in our pre-K program, nonverbal, and then by middle school, they're high functioning Mm -hmm. and they might have psych services uh, once every nine weeks then they might go from special education to 504 services, which is kind of a safety net where you're acknowledged that you have a disability, but you just have accommodations. You don't need um, specialized instruction. And then there are some that they're going to, unfortunately, they're going to be lifers and they're going to be in the behavior program in high school too, but that's okay. And that doesn't mean that you haven't made progress. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do see um, growth with, almost all. And that's the kind of the cool thing about the special education process too, is you are required by law. If they're not making progress, you have to go back and meet as a committee and adjust their plan because it's not working. Uh Um, So you set goals at these, at these IEP meetings, you also come up with annual goals. You say like by 16 weeks, Johnny will be able to express how he feels instead of throwing things or, um, you know, and it also goes with academics as well. Wow. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. Cause there is this follow along with that kid and goals are, goals are so important. That's fabulous. 
So do you have three takeaways for parents? Anything really? Do you have resources, tools, just some tips? You've given me quite a few throughout, but I'm wondering, do you have any more that you want to just share with parents that you feel is really valuable that um, they would need? Yes. um, Well, I want to tell about one website. Um, It's called Autism Helper. And it's not just for, and it's not just for students with autism. You know, these strategies really help with everyone. They help with us as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has okay. so many free resources with visual schedules. It talks about behavior and taking your own data as a parent or as a teacher. Um, so I would visit the Autism Helper. I would look into zones of regulation, um, and then also just like I said, think about how you contribute to your child's behavior or their mood when they are totally upset what can you manipulate in their environment to help them calm down or get back on track just constantly be your own detective investigating what's going on is it only in the morning when they get upset is it only after school is it the days that you're late to pick them up you know just constantly be evaluating um and be your own child's advocate at school to speak up in your art meetings and demand that your child gets the services that they need and that teachers understand um, your child because in the more information you give the school is the more more helpful Mm. Um, and if you don't feel like the school serving them correctly look into that too Um, you have that right as a parent Mm. those are good yeah absolutely love all of those I almost wonder is there like a (laughs) a beginner's manual when you, you know, you're having issues with your kid in first grade and go, okay, we've got 18 years of this. (laughs) (laughs) Here's your manual on how to go through school with your child. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There, I know there are lots of um, websites that have been in blogs and podcasts like this that have been uh, written by parents with kids and sped and um, that are very helpful. Oh, good. Yeah. I think, you know, as you're a mom too, and we just want to really, we want the best for our kids. And so we're going to dig and find answers. Um, Yes. And, 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 you know, you're not always going to know the right answer. Like, mm -hmm. like you said, as a mom too, um, I'm also a twin mom and I have twins that are 18 months old and they're both very, very different. And they go to a daycare um, with a lady who has been a daycare. uh, It's an in-home daycare and she's been doing it for 27 years and I'm a school psychologist, but I still, I learn from her every day. (laughs) I mean, she, she helps my boys relax and calm down and they're 18 months old. And so just be willing to learn and listen from anybody and everybody, you know, be open to different ideas, try things and don't just try them one day and then be done with them, you know, give them full effort and a chance. Yeah. It takes, well, it's like a diet. You can't just do one day and be like, Oh, I've lost all the weight. It takes implementing it and it becoming a part of your life for it to actually work. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for taking the time to speak with me. I learned a whole bunch and I really hope that parents feel a little bit more empowered after listening to this, that they feel they have the right and the ability and the confidence to go work with their student and the school system. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to me today. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. This podcast is for you, the parent of that kid. So go ahead, tell me what you like. Have somebody you'd like me to interview and ask those nitty-gritty questions to? I'm ready for it. And hey, while you're at it, share this episode with somebody you think might benefit from hearing about it. And guess what, imperfect parent? Parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You are rocking at this parenting journey. 
Thanks for listening today. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. This podcast is for you, the parent of that kid. So go ahead, tell me what you liked about this episode. Give me some ideas on what you'd like to hear. Maybe you have somebody you'd like me to ask those nitty gritty questions to. I'm ready. Oh, and if you have a friend who is also the parent of that kid, click that share button and empower them with some tools and tips as well. And by the way, imperfect parent, I know parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You are rocking this parenting journey.